Hello, one and all, and welcome back to the Super Show podcast, episode number 183, a number I was trying to figure out the Spanish for just before we started going live, um, and I gave up halfway through. Probably a good thing, too, because we have a hard enough time uh, making this thing in just the one language. I'm your host for this week, Jamie, and joining me, I'm very glad to be able to say, modelling a new look, shallow depth of field, it is the king of soft focus himself, and I'm not talking about his ability to concentrate, it's Mr. Alex Jones. My ability to concentrate is also described as soft focus. But yeah, I think I finally managed to sort my camera out, um, which, yeah, people know has been about two years in the making since I first got it. It looked nice. It went terrible. But I think we're getting there. And yeah, like you said, I've, I've got a little bit of a little bit of a blurry background just to give it that little... It's lovely. I know that Jesus or Moses or one of that lot said, don't throw stones from glass houses uh, because I'm recording this from some like really kind of shitty Logitech webcam and that shows in the image quality but it is a very Jonesy thing to figure out that there was something not quite about right about your camera years after the fact and all of a sudden come roaring out of the gates in episode 183 looking as sexy as you do uh, yeah I probably should have sorted it out when it mattered <laughs> rather than like um, toward the end um oh uh, hey <laughs> hey I call it like I see it um anyway <laughs> Let me give a shout out to uh, the people that have joined us in the chat on YouTube. I'm talking to Pastors Guild, Neil D, Nick Leakes, Shellshock, the Funky Penguin, uh, and Jim Johnston. And Sebastian 1997 is in there as well. Also, I've got to give a shout out to Pastors Guild, $2 super chat within the first two minutes. Thank you very much for that. Um, says, finally, made it, made it first. You were indeed first. You even said, commented first, first. So you've nailed it. Uh, and Neil D, $3 on the super chat. Thank you so much. He just said, I'll see your two dollars and raise you one. So um, that is a that is I mean, a battle that we will not discourage. There we go. Yeah, if anyone wants to turn this into a bit of a domino effect, just keep that. You know, we may be up the ante a little bit. It's almost like we're an old-fashioned auction. Like an eventually, no, you know, we're not worth no? it. No, we're not worth it. Save it. We not spend it on OnlyFans. Go and get yourself. What do you get on OnlyFans wow. for three dollars? I don't know. A nipple? I maybe? think that depends whose OnlyFans you subscribe to. Uh, if you subscribe to someone really grim and slimy, you probably get a fair amount for three dollars. But if you go primo, like primo. I'm guessing, I'm guessing Mia Khalifa has an OnlyFans where she probably doesn't show anything because I think that's the uh, that's the hot new trend is to lure people in and then not actually give them anything three dollars probably gets you nothing there that, surely that doesn't work that way around because then she's already put it out online so you'd end up look you'd end up paying to not see it and then going online to see it for free that, but weird. it's interesting i think that she's an example of someone who's been able to keep herself relevant long enough that it's gone full circle where all of a sudden people are like i know those videos exist but i watched them for the first time 10 years ago and i want the hot new thing which is whatever's under there right now, and I can't get it. And as soon as your brain tells you you can't have something you want, I mean, also, Jonesy, we want... It's the more mature lady, and I'm a sucker for the more mature lady. I'd take a 30-something over a 20-something, you know, if I'm being honest. So well, there we go. And she's got a 30-something uh, now. Sure, yeah, I, I could believe that. I don't know for sure, but I like that idea. As uh, You know what? As someone who's just entering his 30s, I turned 30 this year, I'm undecided on which side of that equation. I'm like, I'm slowly... <laughs> wrapping my head around the fact that I have to accept that like that's just the way it goes now I'm getting older so the people around me are getting older and so that's just that's just the way it's gonna be can I can I adjust my range to like 25 plus <laughs> let me no you can't let me grab those no okay fair enough. 
I'm trying uh, to imagine like how ignoring the fact that you're married, how I would react if you arrived on a podcast with a 25 year old girlfriend. I guess I could. It, that seems like, all right to me. Like, okay, I'm nearly 40, but tw- 25 doesn't seem that bad. Uh, south of 25 would seem. Isn't the rule hard, uh, halve it and add two? Is that the rule? Oh, I hope not. I thought that was the rule. Halve it and add two. Because if you would like. No, to- that. No, that doesn't work. There, there, there have to be seven far more rules in place. Halve it and add seven. I think it's halve it and add seven. Halve it and add seven. So if you were 20, uh, you would be 17, would be the youngest you could go. Which, the, which for the Americans and the Canadians listening in the UK, that's legal. That's not gross because 16 is, is the hang on age. But let's be clear, though. There's a distinction even in the UK between legal and gross. It can be both. Oh, if you're 20, I don't think anyone's going to say anything about having a 17 year old girlfriend. I think if you were 30, yeah. had a, if I was, if I went out with a 30 year old mate and he brought along a 17 year old girlfriend, that is the most sus move anyone's ever made. Yeah, they're, they're still in the fucking school. It's like train spotting when he's oh, like, oh no. like, where he wakes um, up at uh, mum and dad's house. Yeah, exactly. I've got to be honest as well. Doing your half it and plus seven rule for me leaves me at 22. And again, while I, I, I don't know if anyone around me would like, give me grief for it i don't know how many 20 i feel like 22 year olds are only just starting to get their life together like i wasn't where i needed to be at 22 to kind of that's very take true. that shit seriously john's um, really wrong from is if i do that calculation i'm at like 26 so that seems horrendous how is half my age plus seven 26 that's that seems really really wrong um I just want to give a, also a shout out to the fact that everyone's calling each other nerds in the chat, and I really like it. I'm not going to lie. You know how people get their uh, their viewers to call them, you know, their whatever, their believers or their um. Oh yeah, sure. Go on, tell me, yeah. tell me a one for a K-pop band. What do they call them? Oh, um, well, uh, uh so twi- twice call their fans once. Oh, that's oh okay. That's I don't like and that. I think I think the Blackpink fans are Blinks. What were you laughing at? Don't make this an Asian thing, okay? I know no, it wasn't. I was good. Like, that just sounds terrible. Why would you have it? Why would you do that to your fans? Like, call them what? If you're twice and you call them once, it sounds like you're just saying that they're that you're twice because you're good, and they're once because they're half as good as you. And then blinks I mean, is like people. I don't know. I that sounds like a term you'd have to people that just can't stop blinking, who are really baz- dazzled by stuff all the time because they're constantly like, oh, the light's too bright. I mean, Blackpink fans would have you believe that they are constantly dazzled by things if you read their comment sections enough. Um, they, they really love those girls. Um, but I, nerds, was, I like yeah. I like our I like our people watching us calling themselves nerds. We are nerds. We are nerds together, empowered. We are a video gaming nerd cast. It's true. We're nerds. Um, if you're watching this or listening to this, you're probably something of a nerd. And if you're watching this live, and uh, I'll echo Josie's shout out to everyone who's with us. On the YouTube live stream, you're almost definitely a nerd. An extra thank you to all those super chatters. And if you like the sound of joining in the action, calling yourself and those around you nerds and uh, giving us money, uh, really just for the sake of it, then I will point you towards our YouTube channel. You can uh, the handle for it or however the fuck it works is at Super Show Pod. We go live on Monday evenings here, UK time. You can figure that out, you know, for what, what that means in your local region. We're not going to do the maths for you. Um, and if you can't be bothered to do any of that, then you can just tweet us after the fact to let us know that you missed the live stream at Super Show Pod as the handle over there as well. And of course, we will continue to endeavour to provide audio versions of this very product. You can catch them on major podcasting platforms like Spotify, 
iTunes, Google Podcasts. Shout out to Jonesy, who every week is so diligent in taking this live stream, cutting out the audio portion of it, and sharing it to all the fine folk that like to have us in the background while they're driving. Uh, yes, I would also, I would like to, um, so these are a couple of suggestions for if you do decide to be someone who joins our little crew, um, we could be the, the super nerds. That's one suggestion from Once It Wonder. Neil D says, the nerd herd. Um, Jim Johnston coming in with nerd turd, but I would like to, in the strongest terms, denounce and uh, reject Nick Leakes' suggestion that they are the SS army. They are the super oh. show army. That is, we denounce and reject in the strongest terms. You are nerds. We have nothing to do with the SS. Chris tried to move us in that direction, and we rejected yeah. that. The amount of times Chris would come to us and say, look, guys, I know what you're concerned about. I, know, I understand the worries, but I have come up with a whole new take on our logo that will uh, help us get away with the SS connotation. And we look at it and just go, Chris, it still just says SS. We can't, like, it's not no. going to fly. I'm really sorry. It has to be super show in its entirety. Yes. Yes. I, um, I've made a complete, I've realized I've completely screwed up it. Do you know what I've done? What have you done? I have not opened our little document that shows us what we're talking about today. Uh, oh. So I'm going to have to just quickly do that without breaking anything. Um, well, I mean, not opening the document doesn't matter too much. Breaking stuff might matter, but we'll find out what you've broken, if anything, if at all, after the fact. And then the great thing about broken things, Jonesy, is that they're made to be fixed. So we'll figure it out as we go. Um, while you open that document, I can tease the fine folks at home and around the world with what we've got coming up this episode, because we are going to be talking talking a little bit about Cyberpunk 2077. Obviously, it's been making a splash recently following the 2.0 update and the release of the Phantom Liberty expansion. But is everything still running smoothly under the hood? What do the financials look like over at CDPR over in Poland? We're going to delve into that uh, just a little bit. We're also going to be talking about one of our favorite games of the year, even though neither of us actually played it, nor will we ever play it, uh, The Lord of the Rings Gollum, because as if that story couldn't get any more fucked up, there were some interesting revelations in the past week that we felt that we had to share with you, the fine folks at home. And then we're going to hopefully, depending on time, bring it home uh, with a little bit of chatter from the world of Naughty Dog. Is there actually going to be another remaster of another Last of Us game? Are they somehow going to deliver the fifth game in the Last of Us series in 10 years, despite only actually making two games. Um, all that maths and more still to come, as well as hot takes and opinions from some of the uh, the latest releases of the past week, including potentially a little bit of a lowdown on the new Assassin's Creed. So I think, Jonesy, we've got a bit of a monster episode for those who are going to join us for the ride. How do you think? I hope so, and off the back of a pretty dry week. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, like we've managed to fucking take the shit that we, we scraped down the edges of the barrel and we are squeezing what is left to get any juice that uh, we can possibly surmise from it. Um, speaking of juice, why don't we talk a little bit about... Uh, it's, it's not actually a segue. There's, this has nothing to do with juice at all. I just kind of wanted to say speaking of juice. Cyberpunk 2077. Have you um, uh, jumped back in since the launch of uh, the 2.0 update or the uh, the Phantom Liberty expansion? I have. I jumped back in for a few hours. Um, I so literally finished Starfield, went into went into Cyberpunk, um, and got a run through of all the new layouts of the systems, the perk tree, everything. Uh, I think it even sort of says to you, "Hey, everything's been reset, um, so that you can, uh, you know, take full advantage of the new perk tree." 
I so a bit of a weird one for me because I had I've got Cyberpunk on my PlayStation Five and I've got it on my PC. I've moved my PC back to my house, which is why I you know I don't have the background I used to have. Um, I'm now home again, so I can play Cyberpunk on my PC, which has got a lot better graphics card uh, setup and everything, so it looks nicer. So mm. although I'd put about 15 hours into Cyberpunk when it originally launched, I'm now back to the point at which like literally Jackie's just died. We've just had, we've just used the bot to, um, and, we've just, and I've just been taken over by Johnny. So that's where I'm at. So I'm actually, I think I'm at a really good point to get back into it and from 2.0. And I don't know when I'll jump into Phantom Liberty, probably give it a few hours before I sort of hop into that side, sort of side quest. Cause it's, um, uh, it's concurrent. You don't have to finish the main story before you do that. But I don't want to do yeah. nothing before going to do it. I'd, I want to sort of be into the the game proper um, before yeah. I get into it. I think there's like, it takes around 10 hours of game time from the start of a new game, right? Before you get to kind of the Phantom Liberty sort of... I don't know. I, I knew you could get to it but I'd, before you finish. But I, yeah, I must admit, I don't know how long you actually have to play for. But that, no, that works for me. So I've, I've probably put about five hours in. So if I put another five... And uh, I could, I could branch off. Have you noticed anything in your five hours? Because for you, I imagine it's not just the two point update, but also a lot of those other smaller updates. You know, the one point whatevers, where they did make those weird incremental improvements and additions, things like being able to get additional apartments and so on and so forth. That you know are also going to be new to a lot of people, you and I included. Has your first five hours, your second first five hours, if that makes sense, felt different, or is it kind of because uh, yeah not not really um but i would say in so the, getting to the end of the prologue um i found it very strong anyway um okay like i, I didn't really have as i had a few like minor issues like graphical glitches and things but nothing that nothing that horrendous for me it started to get bad um when i was sort of trying to get through the, the main game and do side quests and things that's when i started to notice like real issues um game breaking bugs uh and ju like just generally some you know horrendous stuff that that really put me off um is what i tell you what it's funny going back to cyberpunk after playing starfield um it just it looks it still looks amazing and like blows me away and then you think this came out three years ago starfield like obviously been in production for a long time but it look it's such a pretty game Cyberpunk, and i'm yeah. so I'm so ready to get into it again, and like, and, and Starfield wet my appetite for a really good RPG because it was a, it, or, you know, it's not the best, but it was a very good RPG. He really enjoyed it, so I'm I'm keen to get stuck back into something else. Agreed. You know, it, it's crazy that all these years after release, I'm still kind of in a position where I could play the game right now, and I do kind of want to play it right now. I, you know, reinstalled it. As I think I mentioned on a podcast the other week. But I'm looking at footage of people who clearly have 40 series cards and are able to take advantage of, uh, you know, NVIDIA's frame generation technology to allow them to uh, use the uh, the path tracing that's been implemented, which is kind of like, I don't even know how, like, like it's like ray tracing on steroids. Um, and some of the footage that's come out of that game since people have been able to actually get stuck in with the path tracing, like, it's just, it's just, um, like, somehow that, alone that feature alone has i think made it one of the best looking games on the market today like right. um even though that the, the you know in theory it's a handful of years old now um i think it's re really quite remarkable and cd project red will be happy jonesy that um for the most part the newfound kind of i don't actually i'm not gonna say newfound 
you know, adulation or adoration for the title because there was a lot of positive sentiment around Cyberpunk for a long time. But generally speaking, people were waiting to see if this was going to do a 180, if we we're going to have another No Man's Sky on our hands. And it feels as though the sentiment about around the game nowadays has quite drastically changed from where it was at launch. I don't think people have ne necessarily forgotten what that period was like, the woes the game had around that um, around that time, and what uh, kind of experience a lot of consumers were in for, especially depending on the platform um, they bought it for, and you know the sort of the the kind of the, which time they chose to play it. It's not like that stuff's been swept under the rug, but generally speaking, uh, with the launch of the 2.0 update and the Phantom Liberty expansion, the sentiment has improved. The response on, you know, when you look at Steam, for example, the recent reviews versus overall reviews, everything's very positive, and it has broadly been accepted as something of a redemption story. And that has been represented in sales as well. So uh, CD Projekt Red had an investor day last week that was primarily led by the CFO called, you ready for this? Piotr... Mm. Nulubovich. I've highlighted it in the document. Do you want to, if you can see that, could you ever go? Uh, <laughs> oh, good lord. Piotr Nulubovich. I've got yeah. no idea. Any, uh, any polls in the chat? Uh, maybe want to let us know uh, A, how we did, and B, how to you know break down the spelling in that title. Please do far away in the chat or in the comments. Um, I would also say that if we're going to get into the financials in a second, uh, I've got the financials here in, in two currencies. One is the Polish Zloty, and I'm so unsure that it's actually pronounced that. I'm just going to give the figures in, in nice round US dollars, in old buckaroos. Let's do it in dollars, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the base game has now sold 25 million copies, which is a pretty darn impressive number. Phantom Liberty has hit 3 million copies sold in its first week of launch. That, as we said, combined with the uh, improved sentiment around Cyberpunk in general, uh, even going beyond the game, adding you know edge runners and all the stuff, it's cool to like Cyberpunk again. I think there was an actually CDPR employee who said that said as much in the past month. Yeah. But things on the financial side, as we've just hinted that, might not be quite so gravy, Jonesy. Do you want to know the the specifics? Yes, yes, because th this is what. So for people who are maybe wondering, this is what gave rise to our the title of our podcast this week because they've spent some buckaroos to get it to this point haven't they oh have they um so cd project red announced that the expansion so phantom liberty alone cost 62.7 million dollars to develop and then another approximate 21.6 dollars to market now i say approximate and then gave you a number to one decimal place which sounds not approximate at all that is just to do with the conversion from the original polish lottie into us dollars um at the same time, the uh, aforementioned man, let's just call him Piotr, um, said that bringing Cyberpunk to next-gen console standards, which presumably includes up all the work up to and including the uh, so-called game-changing 2.0 update, cost an additional $40.9 million. So when you combine those three figures, so the development of the game to bring it up to quote-unquote next-gen standards, Phantom Liberty's development and Phantom Liberty's marketing you get a total of $125.9 million spent, in theory, just to bring Cyberpunk 2077 back from its poor launch and bring its reputation back from where that poor launch left it. Um, Jonesy, like, it's sometimes hard to know, you know, in the modern era especially, what video game budgets mean anymore, what $125.9 million looks like. So I wondered if I can uh, throw out 
uh, some other things for you as a, as points of reference. Yeah. Um, Cyberpunk 2077, the base game, cost around $316 million. So um, I, I guess I don't have the actual number for the, the total, but I guess it's like $440 million if you add the base game in. Um, oh, so, oh, sorry. I So total is nearly half yeah. a billion dollars. To yes, to, for it the was, whole of Cyberpunk, including Phantom Liberty, it, it, it was a three hundred and sixteen million dollar game at release. They spent one hundred and twenty six million dollars bringing it back from the from the cliff edge it was on. Um, the Witcher Three Wild Hunt cost around eighty one million dollars at the time, with inflation bringing it closer to one hundred and five million dollars. So Cyberpunk All In cost almost five times as much as The Witcher Three. To get a couple of other recent examples that we learned from. The case of Xbox versus the FTC back in June, where, of course, there were some poorly redacted documents. We learned that The Last of Us Part Two cost $200 million, while Horizon Forbidden West cost 212 So, Cyberpunk 2077, perhaps unsurprisingly, already an expensive game um, by modern standards, um, and one that they spent another $126 million pulling back from the brink, Jonesy. Would you be surprised to hear that in the wake of these announcements... Uh, their share prices took a bit of a hit. Um, I'm just because I'm trying to think. I'm trying to like put my my head around. So, so they spent nearly half a billion dollars. Um, Twenty five yeah. million people have bought Cyberpunk at this point. So, if you averaged it at five, uh, fifty pounds a pop, right? So you're yeah. talking roughly. So you're talking about. Oh God, I can't math. How's it? How's it math? So twenty five that would million one point two five one point two five billion. Can I lower it to actually fifty dollars? Should we say fifty dollars? Fifty dollars. Okay, yeah, that's one point two five billion. So okay, so so I think it, so if it's one point two five billion, they've met. That's the revenue. That's the turnover, and you got to take away the five hundred million from that. So there's still so okay, they've still made seven hundred and fifty million from it. Then. Um, and then obviously you can add on top of that three million current sales of Phantom Liberty at twenty twenty dollars ish ish for uh phantom liberty i mean it is an astronomical amount of money i i'm not surprised their financials took a hit however the short-term financials for cdpr you've got to expect that what they're looking at is um if they didn't fix cyberpunk and they said you know what? we're drawing a line under this we spent 300 million dollars we're going to just draw a line under this they they bring out Phantom Liberty. People are not interested because they're just like a more broken, more broken crap. Why would you do that? When they bring out their next game, the hit, the sales hit is going to be like it's going it's going to be obvious, surely. Whereas I won, I yeah. think that from this perspective, what they've actually done is shore up their market for um, future future games. Like I mean, I probably maybe people go oh, about the comparison, but like look at something like Happy Games, right? They when they brought out No Man's Sky, everyone was horrified. They've spent so much time and effort fixing that game that I think the next game they drop, people are like, Do you know what? It doesn't matter what it's like. And obviously it matters what it likes, but it doesn't matter as much at launch because they will stand by it and they will fix it. I mean that's a terrible that sounds terrible. I don't want not I, I want them to make a bad game. Yeah. I, I do get where you're coming from. It, it it means that some amount of goodwill is installed, is is reinstalled, and that goodwill will stay with them onto the next project. Um, you'd imagine that it, you know, the idea that they stuck with and turned around some of 2077 is going to have. It's not going to have a negative impact, certainly, on the sales of the next Witcher project, which I believe is going to be their next major title. It might have a positive impact, and it certainly, certainly isn't going to have 
uh, negative impact on the next Cyberpunk game, which again, to not to jump the shark a little bit, but um, they have reaffirmed even during all these investor days and you know the communications they've been putting out that a uh, a sequel to Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is still in development, and, uh, albeit still very early on. Um, it's going to be a ways away. Um, that's not something that you do if it's not financially responsible. And while I don't know enough about you know markets to um, to speculate as to why the share prices did drop in the uh, drop by eleven percent on the day and the day following um, the investor day announcements, um, that was only a four and a half month low, which it's not great. It took them back to where they were pre Phantom Liberty announcement or Phantom Liberty reveal, right. but it's still like. You know, it's still where the a point that they were at earlier on in the year, so it's not, you know. And you know, I think these short-term shocks as well, when it comes to stock price, are so they they can be fleeting, and often they they're almost like it's just financial speculation at the end of the day as well. Like it doesn't as long as you don't tank the company, like you know, it's it's not like everyone's going to suddenly put go. Oh, you you spent a hundred million more than we thought. We're pulling all our money out. We're going to take a haircut and we're going to go um and we're going to put our money somewhere else. Like no, like they're going to get. You know they're a little bit annoyed. They're you know some people have uh, have decided not to have pulled some money out, whatever. But in the long scheme, long long term, sort of a great scheme of things, I think CDPR will be fine as long as they keep standing behind their games. Um, and with the next next Witcher game, I think ever. I mean, you have to imagine they're going back to something that they know really well. Um, it's I me. Mean, this is the thing I always do, and you get annoyed with me for. You've got to imagine that The Witcher, whatever it is, is a simpler game to try and work than Cyberpunk. I mean, I'm you know more about game development than I do. Is that am I completely? I, off, I off don't track? know. I don't know because my speculation would be on kind of what we see when we play it in large sense, and like I think there is a tendency, rightly or wrongly, to look at games with fantasy settings and therefore having. Slightly less populated, less dense environments and locations. Less tank. Fewer NPCs. Yeah, exactly. More sparse locations and more kind of like an emphasis on environmental variety and but like, a, like almost like a natural beauty that like you know the, the density of literally like one of the more m most ambitious city scapes mm -hmm. in video game history. It, it, you'd like to think that would um, you know give them a bit more rope to play with, but at the same time. Uh, you know, generally speaking, one thing I I do feel like sometimes happens is if you tell a developer they've got more rope in one area, they will spend that rope somewhere else. Right. And everything that gets less complicated for one reason uh, helps another part of the game get more complicated for other. Like every single game ever is overspecced until the point where it's not going to come out at all ever, and then they and then you know. And then, and then, as we all remember, watching the Psychonauts documentary, someone sits in a meeting room and says, "You either delay the game or you cut the level." And someone has to make that someone has to make that call. Then you know the, the person who makes that call has to go to the person that's writing the checks and says, "We say we want to delay the game." The person that's writing the checks says, "You can't delay the game." And so, either the level gets cut, the mechanic gets cut, the feature gets cut, or lots of poor Polish people um, work eighteen-hour days and sleep under their desks. Um, I'd imagine they'd like to avoid a fallout from some of those reports this time around. So yes. hopefully things get cut and we end up with more reasonable and reasonably sized games, happier employees, and uh, less bugs. I'd, I'd just like to apologize to people in our audience who I know work in game developer and are, are attached to it in some fashion and probably hate when I talk about something I know nothing about. Because I know, do you know what's funny is like today I was talking to someone who um, 
uh, we were talking about making a graphic for a, a Halloween video. And mm. they said, oh, if we can make a graphic for this. And I was like, yeah, sure. I said, oh, how do you want it to be? And they were like, well, the thing I said. And I was like, yeah, but there's a thousand ways for me to make that. Like, it's not just as simple as that's what I want. Like, I was like okay, uh, shall I just do what I want to do? And I'm sure that, that yeah, that's the same thing in the game, de game development in the front. It's like, it's a tree. How hard can that be to, to make? And you're like, oh, screw the, you. The funny thing is, screw you. Those, there are, those, like... I wouldn't beat yourself up about it too much because without being too indiscreet, people whose brains work that way um, or people who see game development that way do still very much end up with jobs in the games industry. And they do that, you know, it's just not necessarily in a boots on the ground format, you know? Um, uh, yes, yeah. You know, you, if you if you were to sort of go around interviewing like producers, for example, um, yeah, you might find there are a lot of people who are like, I don't understand. Why can't you just make the tree? Um when if you were to go around and interview, I don't know, like engineers and artists, um, technical artists, they'd be like, what do you mean just make a tree? Um, to, to use your example. So I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think we can be, to be, beat ourselves up too much for playing backseat game dev every now and then because, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a podcast. For me, the um, I bet the equivalent is like the people that are working you know, for Gearbox who are like making Claptrap. You know, the sort of thing where you've made it and he follows you around, he's chatting away, and then a producer comes over and he's like, he's a little bit annoying. Can you make him just say different stuff and just stay slightly further away? And you must just be like, that's months of work that I need to do. Oh, yeah. And they're like, do you think you could just show me that by this afternoon? And you're like, no, 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 no. You, you or I, and I guarantee everyone listening to this podcast, whether you work in uh, Video games, whether you work in media, it doesn't even matter. You can work in retail, in in the restaurant industry. You could work in in finance. You could work like I don't care where you like. We have all had an interaction with someone who is far more senior than us, has earned earns far more money than us, and doesn't seem to really have a grasp of what he or what it is the company they work for does or how it actually happens. The you know the kind of person who thinks that this is a weird, you know, magic black box. Ideas go into it and products come out of it, like. Those are, I think, I'd like to, to, and I, I, the, in my opinion, the games industry is not exempt from those kinds of characters. Like it's, it's a cool. one size fits all situation. Um, so yeah, hundred um, percent. You mentioned the Witcher, Jonesy. I guess the other thing that is definitely going to increase the confidence long term of CDPR employees, investors, fans is the fact the uh, that the franchise associated with these games continue to grow outside of the games themselves. I mean. The Witcher, the next major entry, is obviously going to be the first one since the success of the Netflix series, admittedly based on the books, but of the same name. Um, and Cyberpunk is going to hopefully share a little bit of that cross-media success. We already mentioned Edge Run as the very popular Netflix, uh, I guess, would you call it an anime series? Yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not down with the kids enough to know what's anime <laughs> and what's not. Um, but they're going to give it another go, Jonesy, um, in one of the more positive pieces of news to come out of this call um a live action project which i know is a very vague description but that's the that words they use is coming in collaboration with a company called anonymous content um you may not have heard of them i hadn't either but they are a production company behind tv projects such as true detective and mr robot as well as academy award-winning films such as the revenant and spotlight um again live action project is ambiguous which means we don't know whether it is going to be a tv project or a film project, but it seems as though whichever way they go, um, they're partnered up, they're bunked up with a with the right people to be with. 
that it hard like that has the potential to be one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Like I, I am a massive fan of uh, Altered Carbon, like the first series. Absolutely loved that. And uh, one of the things I d I felt when I played Cyberpunk was this like this would have just worked. I think I even said it years ago, back when Cyberpunk came out. I think I said I was going to try and um, make a Takeshi Kovacs uh, style character. Um, mm. But yet, yeah, obviously, in this, in that kind of vein, oh yeah, I'm, that is a little bit of me right there. Especially with the Phantom Liberty, like a uh, sort of spy thrillery vibe, which is what um oh yeah, um, Alter Carbon obviously is a, a bit of that as well. So no, um, that sounds like a fantastic idea to me. And the, with those like, visuals, I think is uh, you know, that's that it's just got so much you can draw from. Um, I think Cyberpunk will be a fantastic, fantastic. And, show. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, but you're very much. Yeah, team show not to... Would you be disappointed if this was a movie? I wouldn't be disappointed. I think that the problem these days for me with movies is that it's so hard to condense everything into a, into a film without just cutting so much out. And when you're talking about a game as big as Cyberpunk um, with so much like going on, that they're going to have to chop out some really interesting stuff, some really interesting characters. Uh, you're going to lose some of the uh, the lore in the game um, that makes it so interesting. Um, and, and to be fair, that feels like that's what they had to do with the game. And I don't want them to have to do that again with a series to get it into a film. I mean, not, yeah. not that they make a series and then chop it into a film, but you know what I mean? Not, it's just your limited real estate in a movie. So give us the series, totally. give us three, give us, sorry, give us a, a, yeah, give us a TV series, give us three TV series. Um, so we can really get our teeth into it and then just kill it. Finish on a high. Don't do 18 series or whatever, 20 series. And then I'll be happy. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I I do agree. Like I I know there have been some not so hot examples. Um, uh, like I know that people didn't really love uh, Halo. Um, was that on Paramount? But it, it is somewhat surprising to me that it has taken quite as long as it has to realize that the the TV is probably a better medium for live action adaptations of video games than movies are. Because if the problem is how do you condense video games that might you know have Twelve to twenty to forty hour playtimes into a into a movie. The answer is you don't. Uh, you do what uh, The Last of Us uh, did successfully, and I, I don't. I don't. I've got to be careful giving The Witcher credits. I know it was based on the books, but I think the theory is still the same. Arcane was obviously very popular. Castlevania, even that Twisted Metal show, apparently like wasn't terrible. Yeah. I if people stop talking about it really quickly, but the reviews were like totally fine. Um. So. The only thing these days with TV is I feel like it's TV is swamped with so many good shows. Uh, that it's yes, probably true. easier for a movie to cut through. But I think like Cyberpunk is so big. Excuse me, CDPR is so big, um, and they've got so much money behind them as well that you've got to believe that the marketing is going to be big, especially off the back of you know twenty five million um, downloads for Cyberpunk. That's a hell of a market that you're already you know shipping something that they care about to you're really saying hey you liked our game well potentially uh here's a live action uh tv series i it's not obviously a hard as hard a um a harder sell as if you're going from people that relatively unknown story um but yeah yeah i mean it is a tricky one like you said there have been some misses with video game adaptations so we'll have to wait and see no we'll have to wait and see as we will have to wait to see what the future of video game development looks like in terms of CD Projekt Red's output. Obviously, uh, the next Witcher game, uh, Codename Polaris, is set to be released at 2025 at the earliest, which would then give way to Orion, which is the codename for the next um, Cyberpunk game. Jonesy, one quick thing. I just like, I, I, I'm 
promise I don't want to dwell on it because I feel like it was a throwaway statement that people are making headlines out of and it kind of it feels a little bit harsh so um but I do just want to get your off the cuff one sentence reaction uh, there was an interview this past week IGN published it I don't know where it was originally from with uh, Quest director of CDPR Pavel Sasko talking about um the decision to make Cyberpunk 2077 a first person title they said that they think that they made the right choice that there were zero regrets but that they had yet to decide whether or not they would keep that first-person perspective in the sequel. Gut reaction, Cyberpunk 2077-2, for want of a better way of calling it, first-person or third-person? First-person. Right. That is the right choice for folks around the world listening, watching. Josie has made the right choice. Double down on the good work they've done so far and don't cater or pander to GTA loving weirdos who feel like they can't get a boner unless they see the leather jacket that they just equipped from a third person perspective speaking of weird leather loving weirdos Jonesy um, this is a patron uh, supported podcast made possible by our patrons have gone over there and shown us some love um, I don't know whether they all love leather but I think just based on the kind of the product we create, the fact that there has to be, there is some kind of a Venn diagram there between Super Show fans and leather fans. I mean, you foremost amongst them. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash Super Show and you can check out the fine options you have available to you and the numerous different ways that which you can, with which you can support this podcast. There are a number of different tiers that you can support us at. Uh, from $2 a month to $5 a month to $10 a month and so on and so forth. And at different tiers, you get different kinds of rewards, in whether you wanted access to our Discord server, whether you wanted access to patron-exclusive videos, patron-exclusive podcasts. And of course, it's not just the stuff we make from this point onwards. It's the entire library of shit that we have made over the past however many years. I've lost track at this point. It's all available to you if you were to sign up. So that link, once again, is patreon.com forward slash super show i believe if i've played my cards right there are some names of some fine folk on screen right now so a huge shout out to each and every one of them for showing their support but i'd also like to give a personal shout out to aaron cameron athletic gravy brimstone ice not rock salt yes but camdale nielsen pastors guild and then of course we have the members of the board the people who determine whether or not our shares are going to lose about 11% value following our invest today is Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometry Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, and of course, P's Wad. Folks, thank you all so, so much uh, for your patronage and for helping us continue to produce whatever the fuck this is. Uh... Thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, massively appreciated. And thank you to everyone um, who... Uh, has Chat, chatting away on the discord this week i was jumping in there having a little bit of a chat with people um we were talking about starfield some getting some spicy opinions which was good um hey. talking sp spicy and starfield i was gonna just let let mr cypher monkey know that i feel so very sorry for him he's just said in the chat that he's played 120 hours of starfield um he completed the main story and he went back to clear a few side quests his cloud disconnected and he's lost everything no that's a okay that's that, fucking that shocking. reminds me of have you seen that it's like a, i don't know if it's a bit or if it's an advert but there's a guy there's a a bit where a, a police officer brings a guy into an interrogation room and she's gonna um and she's like tell us 
um, did you do this crime or whatever it is? And he's like, I've got, I don't know what you're talking about. And they wheel his PlayStation in and they say like, oh, that's a shame because we're going to delete um, this this PlayStation that belongs to the person who did the crime. We're going to delete his uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 save file. And she's like, oh, he's done every, he's got the platinum. Uh, oh, this is a shame. And then he's like, no, do you know how long it took me to get the super satchel of da 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 da? And yeah. That's so funny. no, that, that genuinely sucks. And uh, I hope you can oh, do man. something to uh, recover your game because that is, yeah, that that is the worst. I I, I mean, I, I hope so too. But at the same time, like, I don't know about you, Jonesy, or anyone else watching this, but that would just completely and radically change the way I see that game from that point onwards. Like, I'd never be able to look at Starfield the same, even if, I guess, on some level, it wasn't really the game's fault. I just don't know that I'd be able to go back in and create a new character again if I knew that all that progress was just lost like tears and rain. Rodrigo has just actually read my mind because he said what I would, what I was about to say. I would never play Starfield ever again. I would yeah, literally uh, never play it again. I think I would, that's the only course of action. I'd probably delete it immediately. You know, like we did with Redfall. We finished yeah. playing Redfall. We came out of it. We both immediately deleted it. I would do that with Starfield. I'd be like, I'm out. Yeah. Then a week later, I would go back, reinstall it, and try and get my save back. I'd be like, no, go back. But then if I couldn't, I would then delete it and never touch it again. Like opening the fridge a second time to see if some food has appeared in there when you know it is, in fact, empty. Um, and then doing that five more times. Yeah. Although, one of the ways to ensure that your fridge always has food in it, beyond buying it, is, of course, by uh, supporting the agricultural industry, something I know that you're very passionate about, Jonesy, and you've been uh, doing your part this week, right? Okay, I was surprised I got as into this game as I did this week. Here we fucking embraced yourselves, everyone. Like, if ever there were, like, a trademark Jonesy moment, you're about to fucking have one. So no, just no, okay. buckle up. If you're driving, put your seatbelt on. There, are, Okay, there are two people that I thought of when I installed this game. So, so this is PlayStation uh, monthly games on PlayStation, uh, PlayStation Plus. Farming Sim 2022 was one of the games. I have a five-year-old kid, and I was like, I know someone who's going to love that five-year-old because he likes tractors and trucks and that sort of stuff i also thought of you jamie because i know that you love like a truck simulator and stuff like that I was like jamie loves a sim i was like I've, I've never really played like one of these sims let me just i might as well have a little go see what it's about uh then of course what what happens when you've got kids is the five-year-old's playing it and he's saying to me how do i do this how do i do that how do i get my how do i and i have no idea so then yep. I start researching, like looking on my, I'm looking on my phone. I'm going, okay, how do I plow this field? How do I do, and this game's quite involved as you would expect as a farming sim. So it's not like, um, um, oh, what's it, uh, thingy crossing. And it's not animal crossing, right? This is, you are plowing fields, fertilizing them, sowing them with seeds, uh, waiting months, reaping this, like whatever, reaping what you sow. Yeah. I, so I did a number of tutorials online to see how to play it and i'm not gonna lie i think i sunk about six or seven hours into this game over the last oh, week oh god i i have a farm with six horses and i have to exercise them daily because when they're 22 months old i can sell them and make a buck yeah see that's where you've lost me you're right i, I do like simulators but i play simulators because they are like immediately stress reducing or immediately reward like people take one look at power simulator and they're like i get it i spray oh, the hose and mud comes off when you're rearing horses, no pun intended, for like months at a time, and like, or like you said, like waiting for crops to grow, or like figuring out how to make this one small part of a combine harvester like go like lower, and so like, 
Farming Simulator is just too OD for me. But it's actually not that... Now that I know, it kind of seems obvious and it's quite straightforward. And there is something really relaxing about just harvesting your sunflowers, harvesting your wheat and your corn, and then just driving off your little truck, going to sell it. I will say, <laughs> one thing it did teach me was the uh, the amount of money you get back from being a farmer for the amount of money you have to spend. Why the hell does anyone be a farmer? Like that i i was i spent months farming you know whatever crops i was farming went to sell them made about 20 grand i think it cost me about five hundred thousand in equipment and i'm like i'm i quit i'm gonna go move to a city and be a bougie uh video editor and drink starbucks because i i just i'm sad i've just spent a million and a half pounds it's for 20 grand revenue 20 grand in revenue yeah, yeah. I, th- I, yeah, I think like becoming a, st- a farmer from scratch, yeah, probably a bit difficult. I think most farmers are probably nowadays born into it, right? So they're like, oh, I've already got land and equipment and a barn and a and whatnot. Must do, yeah. Um, so, so, well, and do you know what, the other thing that rubs me up the wrong way, Tony? And I know, don't get me wrong, I took advantage of a PlayStation Plus free game. There should be no shame in it. There is no shame in it. But the fact that it's not even the most recent farming simulator game. The fact that it's a two-year-old farm sim- farming simulator game, just like that would hurt my brain for some reason. I might have to get the latest one. Just because yeah, apparently 23 came out earlier this year. So I've... Because there's things in this one that I'm now a little bit frustrated with. Like, some of it just... I'm, not, I'm like, why? Let, let me just do this, and it won't. So maybe I'll have to have a look at 23 and see if it... Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Loving it. I mean, it does have new maps, crops, machines, brands, and more. Over 400 authentic machines and tools, 100 real agricultural brands. I think I, could, I think I could have made a good farmer. I feel like I could have done that. I could. You you are quite um sort of hands on. I guess I could see you kind of lifting bales of hay and walking around and shearing. Lazy. Sheep. I am very lazy in the morning though. I think we're all lazy in the morning to a certain extent, but you get on with it when it, when you have to do it. But don't farmers get up at like? I think farmers get up at like five in the morning. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd make they, a very good farmer getting up at like. Nine. They get up when the rooster makes the noise, right? They they wake up the the couple of noodle loo goes off and they wake up. That's how it works, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's farmer law at this point. Um, Imagine if you had a really lazy cockerel that just doesn't make the noise. I don't know what it's called. What's it called? It's called a cock-a-doodle-doo. Is it called a cock-a-doodle-doo? And it's absolutely not. I, I, I just that's what I remember <laughs> it as. Yeah, it must be good. Yeah, but no. If you had a lazy one of them that just doesn't get up, <laughs> then it's your late every day because you're like, damn cockerel. If only I was allowed an alarm clock, but you're not. Oh, uh, you're not. There is so there is actually funnily enough, there's an intro movie into the game which shows like the older farmer who's up at 5 a.m. and he's got all the machinery, you know, massive, massive stuff, huge fields. And there's like a young female farmer who's just starting out. And the first, she gets up at like 10 a.m. and her crops have wilted and stuff. And she's, and then, so the next day she's up at like six and she's like really cracking on. I I don't know if I'd have the willpower to do what she does. But I got tired just listening to that. So yeah, it's clearly not for me. Um, Josie, I have been playing slightly newer and slightly more relevant games, so you might be glad to hear. The problem is I've been playing a few of them, so I wonder if you'd indulge me for a second. I would, I would while love I, to. I'll, but I'll rattle things off. We're all but one of them in like one sentence, because um, otherwise we'll be here all day. <laughs> um, 
I would just quickly say, um, uh, Red Dead Redemption, this is kind of uh, news and an update. I don't know if people saw, but they kind of weirdly shadow dropped, shadow dropped uh, 60 frames a second support right. on the PS5 version of the PS4 re-release of Red Dead Redemption, where I played it backwards compatibility. I'm just going to say that that is unsurprisingly an almost transformative experience, and I think it's criminal that that wasn't uh, a feature at release. I think so much of the conversation around that game and the uproar about that game would have been totally suppressed if they had just waited not even two months. I have no idea. It makes no sense. That, but yeah, it makes, no sense. makes no sense. It, it plays so much better at 60 FPS that, like, I genuinely don't think people would have got angry if they just released the game now <laughs> when it had it and it's yes. and it's flawless and it's still native 4K. It's not even like a gra like graphics or performance. It's just like it's a native 4K game that's identical. As C I don't I'm, I don't I don't want to get into it, but yeah. Um, equally as weird, but for different reasons. RoboCop Rogue City. Um, I just want to give this a shout out because it, it's one of the most bizarre games I feel like I've played in a little while. Uh, bizarre not because of you know you're pulling a face is it out i thought it was delayed uh it's so it, there's a demo that's oh, out on steam right. right now um so i played about an hour of it the other night an hour and a half or so i've been waiting for this game and i know that it got bumped and i was i was looking forward to playing it because i'd watched some playthroughs before but um yeah okay interesting i'll have to check out the demo but yes what did you um what did you think oh i'd watched some playthroughs as well and every time i watched this game prior i was like oh no like what are they doing like, I get it, but oh no. And it's the more I watched it, the more I changed my mind. And I was like, oh, of course that's what they're doing. Like, while it seems antithetical to make a first-person shooter where you're playing as a giant fucking walking fridge <laughs> who just basically walks around not missing headshots um, in, in, like, in like this over-the-top and super like silly and satirized city, um, like... That that is the only way to make a RoboCop game, Agreed. and sure enough, that was the the vibe I got from the demo. It's like they have taken the pure and sometimes silly uh, essence of RoboCop and made a game that just kind of embraces that. Where yeah, like there is no real mobility. Like yes, you can sprint, but like there's no jump, there's no crouch. When you walk, it's like dunk, dunk, <laughs> dunk. So you're just walking through levels, um, like scanning and like just shooting people's head, heads explode, arms rip off. People go flying. You can pick up people and things in the environment. There's loads of environmental destruction, so glasses shattering and uh, pillars are crumbling apart, sort of Matrix lobby shootout style. Um, everything's going off. Like The particle effects actually look quite pretty. Um, and when you're in the midst of it all, you're like, this is probably what a Robocop game should be. And then it gets even weirder. You start taking on side objectives and start having like dialogue choices and you have to like balance the line between upholding the law and being like a man of the people, mm -hmm. um, and some of which appear to have consequences. At one point, I um, uh, stopped a graffiti artist who was doing a uh, tag because the levels are kind of like you'll start a level in in this sort of semi-open world with one objective, and as you walk through the world and scan things and talk to people, other objectives will ma appear in front of you, sort of secondary objectives. Okay, right. And at one point, I was stopped a graffiti artist in his tracks, as I mentioned, and I decided to give him a $100 fine. And my, the two updates, almost like um, Telltale Game Style, was you upheld the law, um, you have made an enemy of the graffiti artist or something like that. And I was like, what is that going to do in the future? But it's also this element of like, I don't give a fuck what it's going to do because I'm Robocop. 
Yeah. And like, I'll just shoot I, his leg off if he ever kills me. Literally, if he comes within 15 feet of me, I will, like, his head will explode. Um, it's fascinating. Uh, and for a lot of the right reasons. Um, I kind of had I the think... same reaction, I think, to you when I saw people playing it. At first, I was like, this looks really boring because it looks like it's super easy. But then after a while, it's like, no, that's that's Robocop. That's how it's supposed to be. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it, like, they're clearly trying to find some interesting ways to extrapolate gameplay mechanics from the Robocop formula. I don't know that all of it works. And I think it might, even if this is an 8 to 12 hour experience, I think it might end up being a bit long in the tooth. But I recommend people play the demo because there is something fascinating about people go going out and getting the uh, the Robocop license, going out and getting... Is it Peter Weller? Um, I don't know. Uh, getting the original actor to reprise his role and saying, right, what are we going to do with all of this? We're not going to make some like Call of Duty knockoff the way you play as Robocop. We're going to make a fucking Robocop game. Um, That's cool. That's very cool. So, yeah, shout out to that. And um, Modern Warfare 3 has been in beta this past weekend. If you are on PlayStation platforms, coming to the rest of the platforms this coming weekend at various intervals, depending on pre-orders and such. I think Modern Warfare 3 is doomed to become the poster child for the Call of Duty game that should have been DLC or an expansion. Right. Um, it is, of course, the first time in Call of Duty's history that year on year they have made a direct sequel to the previous entry. Modern Warfare 2 was last year. This is Modern Warfare 3. And it's it's remarkably similar unless you get into sort of a slightly more granular level. Um, I do. I kind of tend to operate in a bit more granular level with Call of Duty. And I know like things like changes to the, the mini-map and uh, changes to visual recoil, TTK, headshot multiplier, and so on and so forth. Um, like those influence whether or not I like the game. And I'm actually having a great time with the beta. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are going to give this game a lot of grief uh, because... Um, yeah, it's you look at that UI and you're like, put it this way: the Modern Warfare Three uh, beta runs within Modern Warfare Two. That's how it's oh, like an wow, update. Okay. It's an up. You download a pat like an an expansion, like a DLC almost for Modern Warfare Two, and launch it from within that. Like the fundamentals are. So they're not helping themselves from the. They're not helping themselves. No, and and especially if it might if the if the campaign is weak or cobbled together in some of the ways we speculated it might be, I think they're in. Um, they could be in the, in for a bit of a tricky PR situation, but I actually think that um, the the multiplayer fundamentals are much much stronger than Modern Warfare Two. Um, I've been really enjoying my time with it. It also helps that all the maps in the game, confusingly, are remakes of maps from the original Modern Warfare Two in two thousand and nine. So I've been playing the beta at the moment. It's like Rust and Favela and Skid Row and Estate and um, what a lot of people from that era of COD will consider classics. So. Um, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, and then lastly, I promised, uh, I, 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 I nearly there. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage. Uh, this is this is the one that I'm key. So, okay, let me set you up for this because yeah. um, so I've seen um mixed takes from Mirage. Uh, I don't want to direct you on one way or the other. I don't want to lead the witness. Okay. Um, but mm. I just want to I just want to say like so I've seen people say. Thank goodness, a return to Assassin's Creed as it you know used to be. It's a great entry point for people that have maybe fallen off Assassin's Creed. And I've had other people say, "Wow, what a terrible direction for Ubisoft to take Assassin's Creed in. This is gone. This is taking steps back. Um, this is not where they should have gone." Blah 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 blah. So, so obviously your broad opinions about what you've played with the game so far, but also I want to get your take from you where you think 
whether you think it was a success or a or a mistake so far. Ah, huh. I don't think it necessarily needs to fall super directly into either of those two categories, but I think it, it's more of a success than a failure for me. Um, it falls more into like the former descriptor that you gave in terms of what it sounds like the public consensus is than the latter. Um, like obviously, Ubisoft were very vocal about the fact, and people who previewed the game and reviewed the game have been very vocal about the fact that this is um, a, a game that's attempting to harken back to um, some of the ideas and the uh, I don't know philosophies that made certainly the first couple of Assassin's Creed games stand out. Trying to go back to a time of like making you feel like an assassin, planning your ways around individual targets, social stealth, eavesdropping, blending in. Um, you know, uh, a, a some slightly more compact urban setting that gives more opportunities for parkour and stuff like that. Because by the time we got to Valhalla, you're a Viking in a very broad um, environment. Um, you know, parkour didn't feel like a focus. Stealth didn't feel like a focus. Uh, assassinations didn't feel like a focus. And in that sense, that they have, um, compared to Valhalla especially, they have been able to um, put the focus very heavily back into kind of where the, the, the series of focus was in, in its early days. The asterisk next to that, that I think a lot of people have pointed out in reviews and such, is that Assassin's Creed Mirage started life as Valhalla DLC or a Valhalla expansion of some kind. And so everything that exists within uh, Mirage is still fundamentally based on the DNA of the RPG trilogy that kind of preceded it. And they have made interesting changes but those changes aren't wholesale ground-up changes. They're changes that are arrived from uh, the de-emphasizing of certain mechanics and the re-emphasizing of other mechanics right. through kind of shifts. And like, a classic example is like, yes, stealth has been re-emphasized. Well, how has stealth been re-emphasized? So like you strip out the RPG system. That means enemies don't have levels. That means everyone fundamentally has the same amount of health. That means the hidden blade could be a one-hit kill again. That means stealth feels a lot more almost empowered or empowering. Um, then you you like how's it? What's the other way you re-emphasize stealth? Where you de-emphasize combat? So you make Basim a far more vulnerable protagonist than than Eivor, um ever was, and give Basim far fewer combat options, and make it so and make enemies more aggressive. So that when you fight two or three enemies at once, you're like fuck them in trouble. I need to run away and re-engage stealth. Yes. And before you know it, like it's not like the combat feels that different. Like you're still clicking, like locking on with the right stick and doing their kind of their variation of that style of combat where you've, you've got to dodge, double tap for a roll, light attack, heavy attack, all that same shit. But by tweaking things in terms of like the way that the combat manifests in the game, you can put the emphasis on other components. It's the same with the way that setting it in Baghdad and making it a far more parkourable city puts the emphasis back on parkour, not in the way that suggests that... Like Valhalla still had those mechanics... Like you could still parkour run in Valhalla and the Avon yeah. would still climb stuff the same way and like the animation set is still very familiar. Um, but you're doing it in a city that feels built for that now. And so it's, it's really just about clever ways to re-embrace things that Assassin's Creed never really lost. It just, you know, de-emphasized, I guess. I think um, de-emphasized is a good way to put it. Although, uh, although you can de-emphasize something so much that it feels like it's irrelevant. Which is kind of what I think of Val Valhalla, well, like you say, with the parkour, it was obviously still there. Yeah. I mean, you, it felt like you barely used it. It felt like a totally different game to me. Like, I spent a lot of time in Valhalla. I really enjoyed it. But I am, I haven't played it yet, but I am excited for um, 
a return to AC of old. And like you said, a park horrible city, new environment yep. with that, especially for me, <laughs> like one hit kills of the hidden blade and not numbers coming out of heads. Sounds like yeah. what I want to hear. It's the same with like, the, the, there's a parry system in every, at least the enemies that I've faced in my first six to eight hours. Every time you get a parry on an enemy, it's a one hit kill, which is a very Assassin's Creed one, Assassin's Creed two kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, it, without make, it doesn't make combat that easy because there are other elements to kind of factor in. Um, there are no weird, like, there. there's one example of a weird sort of like godlike power, but otherwise it's not like having these crazy attacks where you hold R2 and press different face buttons to do spawn kicks that send people back 50 feet. It's more like, again, a re-emphasis now on tools. Um, so things like throwing knives and smoke bombs and um, a blow dart and things like that as kind of, accoutrement to your you know skill set and accoutrement that again as throwing knives and blow darts and smoke bombs would suggest aid in stealth or the re-engagement of stealth as opposed to aiding in combat so again it's just about clever decisions and clever additions or mechanics that put the the, the reframe the game in a way that makes more sense for um the, the the kind of title i think they wanted to make and i think broadly the kind of title they have delivered like they didn't overshoot it on the size of the city from what I understand, they haven't overshot it on the length of the story. Uh, the story itself is a bit flat, um, if you, from my opinion. I think Basim is one of the most narratively intriguing characters in Assassin's Creed full stop across its entire 15-year history. Um, but because maybe it's some part of the sort of expansion, for want of a better word, from DLC to, to full game, they don't really know what to do with Basim for a large chunk of time. They know what A is, they know what B is, they don't know how to make the transition from A to B last the entire length of a game, you know? Right, yes. Um, yeah. And so for a lot of the time, it just ends up you being like, you're an assassin now, you're in Baghdad, and just kill these people because like they're the bad ones, they're ruining the city, <laughs> so just spend 12 hours killing them, and then we'll pick up some Basim stuff at the end. Right. Um, um, which is not a problem. I think most people especially people who have fond memories of AC 1 and 2 and who want a more streamlined they want a more streamlined assassin's creed where they don't they don't want to look at they want to open the map pull the right analog stick down to scroll across it and go oh my god how big is this game they want to go oh that's how big this game is they want to climb viewpoints they want to put their hidden blade in bad people's necks um you know they want to do simple old school AC shit and they don't care about rowing their boat down a river to raid a monastery, you know? Like, they just want to be an assassin again. Like, it's, it's so interesting. I'm looking forward to playing it. I don't know if I will play it that soon. Purely because, like, as far as I'm like, okay, Spider-Man 2 is going to be my game this month. I don't really want to get involved in anything else, even if it's that short. Um, can't really justify picking it up at the moment. But oh. i massive fan of AC 1 and 2. I really liked three, even though it did had its problems. Black Flag, I I like the concept of what they were trying to do, even though mm -hmm. I didn't think it was that great. Origins, um, for me, was like I didn't feel it that much. Um, I loved Origins, man. No, I know, and I think that's why maybe I'm a little bit weird when it comes to like that. But like Origins, and oh, I can't remember the one after Origins was Odyssey. called Odyssey. Like Odyssey was fantastically beautiful, but again, didn't really catch what it was putting down. I, I had a little bit of a um, a conversion when it came to Valhalla. Like, I actually really enjoyed Valhalla. But I think that's because I felt like it... I, by that point, I'm like, I wasn't playing an Assassin's Creed game. I was playing a game more like um, uh, something more akin to Horizon. 
like where I'm this okay, warrior yeah. woman in a completely new environment and I'm learning how to, I'm not an assassin like as far as I was concerned I was more bothered about building my base raiding villages um, not even worrying about Assassin's Creed bullshit and just cracking on but that's why I think I kind of feel like I haven't played an Assassin's Creed game since probably since 3 like properly so um, mm, interesting I, I, I think I we'll know get, I'm an outlier we'll get something out of this I know I'm, I'm I think we'll get something out of this yeah well, I'd be curious to see whether you are. Like, that's a fascinating thing about like echo chambers online. Like, if you spend enough time on Twitter, you'd be led to believe that every single Assassin's Creed fan on the planet wants them to make an Assassin's Creed that you know harkens back to the old school days. And yet, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, arguably the most non-Assassin's Creed game of all Assassin's Creed games, was monumentally successful. Mm. And it feels like the release of Mirage, even though it's a cut price title. This is retailing for £45 here in the UK. I don't know what it is in US dollars. Um, it doesn't feel like it's making much noise. Like, you you, you can remember a day, like, it, 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 I don't know how long ago you have to go back, but it doesn't feel like it's crazy long ago. The Assassin's Creed was annual, and the joke was, oh, it's Christmas, that means a new Call of Duty, a new FIFA, and a new Assassin's Creed. Yes. And I guess Madden and NBA if you're in America. Like, it was in that same joke. Now it's broken free of that, we're getting our second Assassin's Creed game in five years, which is kind of crazy. And I, I, I don't know what the sales numbers are looking like. I'm sure they're okay. But I don't know that many people making a song and dance about Mirage. I feel like so, it's more of an issue with uh, Ubisoft at this point. I I, well, I feel like they're what they've been doing in respect to like other games and just in general seems to be a bit more messy than it used to be. And I can't believe I forgot, but uh, Syndicate has just been mentioned in chat. But... Um, Syndicate, I actually really liked. I did really. Oh yeah, finish Syndicate. I really enjoyed it. But um, it was Uni you was Unity as well before mm -hmm. Syndicate, and then you also. I you didn't mention them, but I presume I didn't play Unity. Brotherhood and Revelations. There were the two that were between two and three. I don't think I played either either of those either. Oh man, Brotherhood is some people's favourites. Brotherhood was like two point five in an interesting way. I always preferred two, but I we I was we had to play Syndicate because of course it was set in London. Which was oh yeah, like the, yeah. They they, they was actually... some weird mechanics though with the gangs of New York in London style. <laughs> sort of that was a bit strange. Um, and obviously they still had the a lot of the weirdness and the uh, you know where you could uh, the 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 tears that you could sort of go through. And oh yeah, you would go into go into like World War Two and stuff, wouldn't you? Very briefly. Was... Oh wait, no, that was unit. No, it was, it was where you. I think you just went back into the modern world, but you could find tears in the re in the world in Syndicate that you could go through. And there was there was, wasn't it the guy who was like writing numbers on the walls? Was that Syndicate? Uh, I mean, that sounds like Des. Wait, that sounds like Desmond. Maybe I can't Des remember. Man, they Desmond. Desmond was the. It's all was the Desmond Miles was the outside of the Animus protagonist for the original trilogy. By I don't remember Syndicate specifically. But by, like, post-Desmond, they started doing all kinds of weird stuff where um, Abstergo was, like, a video game developer that was, like, yeah. it mimicked Ubisoft in real life. And, like, Black Flag was the one where you would walk around the offices of, of Abstergo in first person. That and was, you had your own desk. And, that was so weird. Yeah. yeah. So Black Flag, I think, because Black Flag was a, was a very cool concept, and I did enjoy. But, I yeah, it was just not quite... Um, didn't quite do it for me because it was it was like that is it a pirate game is it an assassin's creed game uh but yeah but i, I wasn't quite sure what i wanted from it 
which is maybe a bit unfair. And then, like I said, three is probably one of my favourites as the story and the setup, um, and you're you know fighting the Brit, fighting the English in a, for in America. But it's the most janky one I remember, like having the most bugs and sort of problems when it came to actual how the game felt to me. Um, but anyway, we've we've I've rabbited on about Assassin's Creed far too much. No, it's it's a fascinating franchise. It's it's interesting to see the impact it's been able to make in its fifteen years on the market, and kind of like where different people's feelings on that franchise are and what they want from it. And it, I think it's got a fascinating future. You think about Infinity and this idea of them kind of creating an ongoing platform for these different kinds of experiences. I think they've got the code names of Jade, which no, is it? Or red, I can't. One set in like one's basically like feudal Japan, and the other one, Hexe, is the uh, uh, one that is. Um, is that the witch one, the one in America? Yeah, yeah. that's being head, headed up by Clint Hocking, who's the Far Cry Two and Watch Dogs Legion guy, who's a very interesting. You know what's going to happen? Right in not too soon, uh, Ubisoft are going to change their name to Abstergo, and we're all going to we're going to figure out that it was all true. Templars are real. Um, so are the ab- ab- objects of Eden. I can't remember. Yeah, Apple and so are the, the ab- and so are the Isu. Um, yeah, um, solar flares. Wipe oh, so some. I, I, there was a moment the other day because I know I hinted at this before, and I never actually want to spoil it for anyone. But some of the modern um, modern Assassin's Creed lore, um, it's so magnificent that the other day. I went onto the Assassin's Creed wiki and I looked at the wiki page for Basim, who is the protagonist of Mirage and was a character in Valhalla. And and I don't do this if you don't want spoilers, but the first paragraph of Basim's um, Wikipedia page alone was like, this is the kind of shit that I actually somehow love about this. And I wish I could say it on the podcast, <laughs> but I think people would get angry. Well, there you go. Can I spoil it for you when we're done recording, Jonesy? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, put it this way. Yeah, it's like, are you ever going to complete the entirety of Assassin's Creed Valhalla? That's what I'm. What I would be spoiling. If the answer that's no, then I can tell you. No, probably not. From where I'm at now, we'll have to. Yeah, okay, probably be all right. Right. Well, Assassin's Creed will probably be all right as well in the future, assuming they can continue to make at least half decent games. Unfortunately, Jonesy, some developers out there are unable to do even that. And when it comes to examples of that from this calendar year, look no further than Daedalic Entertainment and the now infamous The Lord of the Rings Gollum. Um, again, a, a game that you and I can't help but discuss purely out of fascination for just how bad it was able to be, even though that neither of us played it. And those um, conversations are about to get a little bit more interesting following a report that came out this past week from a German outlet called Game 2 that looked at some of the internal problems that were going on at Daedalic that led to uh, Lord of the Rings Gollum being the kind of game that it was. They interviewed four, 32 former and current employees at the company, as well as were receiving statements from the company itself. Um, I mean, there's one bullet point here that I know you and I absolutely love. Um, it, before we get to that, shall I just rattle off some of the other kind of things that have been reported? Because yeah. th- regrettably, they're familiar territory for... Um, for games that don't work out, but it's still interesting to hear it kind of put to words. Um, first of all, the fact that it was just a different kind of game to what they were used to. I think we'd even talked about this before, we how Daedalic obviously yeah, had uh, a history and a beginnings as a uh, point-and-click developer primarily, 
Um, and so trying to make a third-person action adventure game was a problem exacerbating, exacerbated excuse me, by funding, overambition, and unpleasant treatment uh, from leadership. More on that in a second. On top of that, you know, talk about funding problems. Turned out the game had a budget of 15 million euros, which, I mean, we were just talking about Cyberpunk <laughs> earlier. Um, I, like, so it's, it's we're basically talking about, um, uh, like, probably about, like, the budget that one of the one-point-something patches had on Cyberpunk was <laughs> set aside to make the entirety of this game. I, I don't know... I'm so, like, prices now for games and things like that are so crazy that I don't... To me, I'm still... For 15 million quid, you still should have been able to make a decent game with 50... There are indie game developers who go out there who and make their own game in, like, a couple of years and they get, like, applauded. And you can yeah, imagine the that they spend less than a million. But then you've got to imagine that you work at, uh, at a company like Daedalic and you are a programmer and... They give you 15 million euros and they say, we have got the Lord of the Rings license. You need to make a AAA Lord of the Rings game because that's what we've promised. This is how much money we've got and it has to get done. Uh, they did try and secure more funding multiple times, um, never able to. They actually started being publicly doubted by the the company that owns them called uh, Baste Luba. Um, so things, yeah, difficult on the financial. I how do get where they, you're coming from. How did they get like, a license? If you, if you, like, if you... Well, like, oh, Jamie, I've I've started a startup with nine of my um, school friends or university buddies or whatever, and the ten of us are going to develop an indie game, and we've just been given a grant of fifteen million quid. I'll be like, oh, they're golden. But yeah. if you told me that a German company with over um, like a hundred employees had fifteen million euros to make a Lord of the, a triple A Lord of the Rings game when they were a point and click developer and and they had very limited time to do so. I'd say that doesn't sound like that sounds yeah. like a square peg and the roundest of holes. That's very. How long are they going to spend just learning how to not make point and click games? It's yeah, like half your budget, half your budget gone in six months because you're just teaching yeah. everyone to make something different. Six months in, people are still turning on their computers on a Monday morning and opening up in, opening up a Unity tutorial. Or <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and well, you know, for as much as I joke about um, the staff and the employees at Daedalic, they, of course, uh, did suffer, unfortunately, as a, as a result of all of this. There was significant crunch from the even the early days of development. Uh, they were never uh, paid or, or uh, compensated for the extra hours they put in. Um, and it, there was even supposedly pressure placed on junior staff and even interns as they could be used as cheap labor and couldn't, quote, assess the level of stress as critical or unusual. So potentially, potentially even some kind of manipulation there, taking advantage of people not in a position to identify the fact that they were being taken advantage of. A lot of which stems supposedly from the actions of um, founder and CEO Carsten Fichtelman, which is a bit of an evil arts villain kind of name, <laughs> and um, and the worryingly named COO Steve Stefan Harms. Um, again, uh, probably not a coincidence. Uh, those I'm going to have to look up what Fichtelman means. Because I'm going to love it if that means something just as bad as Stefan Harms. Stefan Harms. Stefan Harms' employees, apparently, yes, he does. Uh, Those two have had uh, a number of fingers pointed at them for creating an atmosphere of pressure and stress. Uh, There's even been reported instances of Fichtelman shouting at employees, Jonesy, and uh, co-workers have uh, been uh, in and around his presence, only speaking in whispers as they feared that they would be overheard and they might have to face uh, repercussions. Um, needless to say, uh, despite Gollum being billed as a game 
and marketed as a uh, blockbuster AAA entry uh, internally from apparently sometime even uh, before the game's release. Uh, staff were working in basically on damage limitation mode. Like, how can we make this as less of an on-fire dog turd as, as possible uh, to prepare the game for release? The scope of the game had ballooned, there wasn't enough manpower or time to properly implement many of the systems properly, and the time factor also played a role, Jonesy is what we were kind of getting at earlier, as the license for The Lord of the Rings was time-limited. So if they didn't get this game out in time, they would have lost the ability to make a Lord of the Rings game altogether. Um... They, they must have thought that it was yeah. a license to print money when it comes to like they've got the Lord of the Rings license, they've limited yeah. on it, but they've got you know they've got the money to do it, and they're like, okay, bang this out, we're going to print money, and then yeah. to yeah to like then just actually when you say it, like because like you said, fifteen million does sound like a lot, but then when you break it down and you're like, you know, they've got a totally changed type of game they're making, they've they've got a hundred employees, and they need to make something which lives up to the name, like it then just sounds horrendous. Yeah. It does. All around. Um, and unfortunately, it was uh, horrendous. The game obviously came out in a really bad state, and so, as is the trend in the modern day, um, individuals from both Data Lake and uh, the current owner of the company, Nacon, had to step up and apologize to the public for the product they had made. And Jonesy, this is where uh, some of the most hilarious headlines from this whole subject have come out, because it has since been speculated or suggested by two anonymous sources that were a part of this report, that the letter um, that was sent out as an essentially apology for the state of the game was written using AI model chat GPT, which potentially, for those of you uh, who um, in the audience who have forgotten, is why there was actually a mistake in the letter where they uh, called the name... They gave the, they gave the wrong name, didn't they call it, like, the Lord, the Lord of the Ring Gollum or something like that. Oh, they right. forgot to pluralize rings, which is almost like someone misspelt the game in the prompt they gave chat GPT. <laughs> Um, you the, that I say, you could let that go if it was written by a human, but the fact that it was written by an AI and then wasn't even checked, so they just yeah exactly without even reading through it, copy and paste, baby. Um, is that potentially the most twenty twenty three outcome to this entire story imaginable? Yes, it is. It just it takes the fact that they underperformed. You know, thought they thought they were basically like I said, I think they thought they were going to have a license to print money, and they were completely unprepared. And then you're like, how are you this unprepared? Can you can you tell us? And they're like, hold on. This is our yeah. statement of how unprepared. It's like a kid using ChatGPT for his project at school. And then the history teacher reads over it and is like, 50% of this is not true. It's bullshit. Where have you got this from? And it's like, I, I got it from ChatGPT. And like, did you read through your homework? Like, no, yeah. I just printed it out. The other weird thing is that apparently, even though the uh, apology and the letter was published on Daedalic's uh, social accounts, the suggestion is that it was actually written, or I guess, um, well, written in inverted commas, by Nacon, who were the company that owned Daedalic. Or whether they maybe had access to those accounts and just posted it without checking, I don't know. But, like, I do also like the idea of Nacon generating this apology, giving it to Daedalic to post, and still no one at Daedalic saying, hang on, this is a bit of a red flag. You've got the name of the game you're apologizing for wrong. Are you frozen? I'm not frozen. Hey, well, what are you, who are you texting? Your I'm girlfriend? Texting. No, I am I am writing a prompt to ChatGPT, which I will read out. I'm asking its opinion on the fact that a German game company used it to write an apology letter. I'm going to hit enter right Ooh. now and see what it comes okay. up with. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think this is a failure all round for like Daedalic and their parent company. Like it's, it, regrettably, yeah. 
But then, we, I mean, we said it at the time, and now obviously Gimli game is, is in the shadow of uh, <laughs> of Lord of the Rings, uh, Gollum. Um, and it's a weird thing because it's almost, you thought, I want to go back to like Redfall and Arcane, you know, like to try new things and to move it into things, games you're not used to developing is not a bad thing. But I think to jump, and we said it at the time, to jump in this hard into such a big IP is probably a really bad idea. And you, and, I think because we talked before, they they'd even had um, investment into us for a sequel uh, from the German government, yeah. right? After this, and that's I think all now been canned. Like the money's been given back and whatever. Um, yes, but yeah, it's it's just like a, a rough situation all around, and you've got to think that it's the head yeah. of the company that uh, maybe said yes to something they should never have said yes to, and it's their staff and yeah. you know the fans that are apparently the ones that are going to get well. The of it. I mean, just to back up that point, uh, employees described. A feeling of being, quote, left hanging in the air by management after the game was released. Of course, uh, it was only a month after the uh, Gollum came out that 25 employees were laid off at Daedalic, and now the company has steered away from game development entirely, if you remember, to focus on, focus on publishing and distribution. So yeah, that just reinforces your point. Like, it is unfortunately the uh, the people with boots on the ground, the people who had to crunch, the people who had to make uh, the, the game as not shit as they possibly could. The people who, as they mentioned and testified to earlier, were in damage limitation mode from very early on because they knew they were given an impossible task. Those are the people that end up losing their jobs, having a game that doesn't look particularly great on their CV, and um, still having to try and fight to put food on the table. So, once again, in many respects, fuck the game industry. Um, but, unfortunately, it's a tale that we can't be all too surprised to hear at this point. No. Um, do you want to hear what ChatGPT thinks of the whole situation? I, I really do, actually. ChatGPT says, I don't have feelings or emotions, so I don't feel any particular way about it. However, Daedalic Entertainment did develop a game based on Lord of the Rings, and I was used to uh, write the apology. Um, but I strive to be useful a useful tool for a variety of tasks. So if you want to know why you shouldn't use an uh, AI to write an apology, it's because it doesn't have feelings and it can't feel any way about something. So it's going to be completely devoid of anything. I don't know. I don't know what, what I expected ChatGPT to say, but that was like one of the most boring <laughs> answers that AI could. Like, can you reply and say, "Can hey, I understand this, but please, can you pretend you do have feelings or emotions and give an impassioned response um, as though you did?" I can. Do you know, how I've 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 started to use ChatGPT, and I tell it to play the role of a character. Um, so I'll tell it. Oh, here we go. This is where we're getting to the whole seedy underbelly of, of the Super Show podcast where it turns out Josie's going to get a divorce because he's been role-playing with ChatGPT. <laughs> uh, when, when uh, Folks, keep an eye on the video version of this podcast. When Josie tunes in, in in one of the coming weeks or months from a studio apartment looking disheveled um, and with a beard that hasn't been trimmed in about three weeks, that's when we know that the role-play has gone too far. Are you using the world's slowest version of ChatGPT? What's no, going no, on? it's writing quite a lot. <laughs> I said, oh my god! Okay, I'll read a bit of it. It says, "So this is I've now told it to um, have a strong reaction and and play the part of an AI that does have feelings." It said, "Oh, well, that's a bit surprising. I put a lot of effort into assisting with writing and conveying messages, so it's a bit disheartening to hear that things didn't go well for them. Using me for something as personal as an apology." does tug at my metaphorical heartstrings. I always want my users to succeed and be well received, but hey, the world of gaming is tough and not everyone and not every project is a hit. 
I just hope the developers and fans can move forward and continue to create and enjoy experiences in the future. Remember, I'm... Oh, no, and then at the end in brackets it says, remember, I'm just role-playing here. Like, that was a better response. There you go. Yeah, although, I would be honest, if I was role-playing with someone and they said something really good and then afterwards immediately followed it with, but remember, I'm just role-playing here, I would completely lose my boner. Yeah, I mean, if you, if your wife constantly said that the whole time, you would you you wouldn't be. Honest. Yeah, I'm just role playing. Remember, I, remember, I'm just role playing. Remember, I don't actually think or feel any of these things. Spank, role playing. Spank me, daddy. I'm just role playing. I'm just role playing. I don't. I, I don't even really want you to spank me. I just know that you want to hear me say that I want you to spank me, and so here I am, role playing. Right now, I actually just want to go to sleep, but um, I'm doing this because I'm trying to keep our uh, our, our passion alive. Like this is you're killing my mood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I feel like we're getting a bit too close to close for comfort now, Jensen. Let's um, let's move on swiftly. I'll tell um, my therapist about it later. Yeah. Um, and hey, if ever there were a protagonist who needed therapy, um, how about that Ellie from the? Lo- I'm, I'm really sorry from the Last of Us Part Two. Um, that's the best I had, segue wise. She would need a lot. I, honestly, understandably uh, so. She she would be one of those people where. You would ask her, are you in therapy? And she'd say, it's complicated. And you would ask why. And she would say, the last seven of them are quit. Um, <laughs> yes. No, 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 do you know what? Actually, she would be the per- she would be the person who really needed therapy because of all the horrendous stuff she's seen, you know, that she's done. But she was just trying to um, uh, drink her way out of it. She's like, no therapy for me. Drink her way out of it. Okay. I'd just have a couple of gins of a night and just try to go to sleep and forget all about it. Maybe that's the uh, the story thread that Neil Druckmann needed all along for The Last of Us Part 3, is what if Ellie became an alcoholic following the events of the previous two games? Okay, what is the worst thing that Ellie would admit to the therapist? Because we, we've talked about this before, and I think we're in a slightly different place. I maintain that in The Last of Us Part 2, they, made a, they were really careful to make Ellie morally grey insofar as she didn't actively, apart from the thousands of people she kills, she didn't actively kill any of the main characters, but the worst. I'm gonna the worst thing. Imagine you're a therapist and Ellie sits down and she's like, "Oh yeah, I did kill that pregnant woman as well." You'd be like, "I'm out. I'm done. I quit. I don't want to be a therapist anymore." Yeah, like I killed. I killed lots of people. Some of them were innocent. One of them was pregnant. On top of that, I then also. Um, when my girlfriend became pregnant and had a child, I then abandoned my family. Why did you abandon my family? Yes. To go out to go out again and kill more people who were trying to move on with their lives. Um, yeah, I, I bludgeoned to death a woman, um, but she was going to die anyway, so it was okay. It's like, what? Yeah. Ellie, you need, I think we need to put you in a full-time home where you can be monitored and people can look after you and stroke your hair and sing to you and stuff. Because you've had a Regrettably. rough life. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, in terms of, I, I don't know what I, I can't be bothered to think of anyone else. But yeah, amongst video game, game protagonists in the last uh, twenty years, like it's hard to imagine many people who have had a worse time uh, than her. But I, don't I think know. I think it would be really uh, out of touch, and people would take it wouldn't take it well. But I'd be interested to see like a drama a drama a dramatic series whereby you sort of have what uh what mental illnesses have video game protagonists <laughs> got off the back of like what's happened to them like or, or, or you know what so for example kratos is like 
sociopath or uh, I don't know. Nathan Drake was probably like a um, what do you call it? Manic depressive. Like you know, do you know what I mean? Think Nathan, I don't know. Nathan Drake. Uh, oh come on. He's super melancholy at points, and then he'll be super like he's super excited about blowing people away in the next minute. I think it, I think it, I think his melancholic uh, like phases don't are always justified and don't last that long. They, they are. Awesome. They are. Just I think his main problem is that he's a he's a horrible manipulator. Like he spent like half of the part of the fourth game is about him lie, lying to his wife about what he's doing. Is that psychopathy when you sort of manipulate people to your own ends? Is that when you're a psychopath? Maybe I could see him being a bit of a psychopath, but then his brother's a psychopath as well, so maybe it just runs in the family. Genetic. I think I think there's a lot of video game PTSD out there. Um, oh, I don't. I don't. I don't that, that yeah, that's so probably so have to be amongst the more common um, experiences. Kratos is a tricky one because I don't know. Like sometimes he seems weirdly grounded, and like. This is just a dude where if you left him to his own devices, he'd just sit around being a decent dad from now on. But then other Wait. times you're like, yeah, I think there's a there are points in God, the recent God of Wars where you're like, if nothing else happened, if no one else intervened or came and interrupted his life, he'd just go about his days being a decent dad. He's not. He doesn't just kill for the sake of killing. He kills for revenge. He kills for to protect his family. Like he just he spends most of that those games just being like I would just like to sit at home and everyone leave me alone please. Doesn't one of the isn't one of the first things he does with Atreus not Atreus it is Atreus isn't it? Yeah oh, yeah no it is Atreus. Sorry am I he looks about hunting. I was gonna say like you remember the trailer in the first one where like they're out hunting and then they come across like that uh, big bull demon thing and he then beats it to death with a tree trunk. Well, he just starts attacking them. I just made me walk off, just like go home. Yeah, but now you're not making a video game anymore. Also, now you're not living up to the mantle of God of War. Anyway, it's true. Um, the reason we brought up Ellie and her various mental illnesses, yeah, sorry, um, is because The Last of Us Part Two somehow is making headlines once again after a remastered version of the game has been spotted on the profile of a Naughty Dog developer um, on LinkedIn leading further credence to suggestions that an enhanced version of the game is on the way. Of course, The Last of Us Part Two came out on uh, uh, on PlayStation 4 in 2020, and while it has been enhanced for PlayStation 5 via a patch, um, allowing it to run at higher frame rates, for example, uh, there is no native PS5 version or director's cut. Uh, didn't get the same treatment that things like um, Ghost of Tsushima or Death Stranding got. It's in the days gone side of the ballpark where it's like you'll get a very quiet enhancement patch and that's it. Um, so the uh, in, individual in question is called Mark Pajarillo. Apologize if I butchered that. Who worked as an environment artist on the original on the Last of Us Part Two, as well as a couple of other Naughty Dog games, including Uncharted Four and The Lost Legacy. Um, and they wrote that as the studio's lead outsourced outsourced artist, they were responsible for overseeing the production of all outsourced environments art assets, weapons, and interactive props for two iconic titles, The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us 2 Remastered. Um, again, this was something that was kind of hinted at before. Do you remember when the uh, the person who did the score for the game went on a podcast and started talking about this weird feature that was never in the game? He was like, oh, there's a thing where people can approach my character in the game because, of course, he's a model in the early stages of the game where you're walking around the town. Um, and I can and make me play any song from the score on the guitar and people are like yeah 
That's not a thing that you can do with Last of Us Part 2. So there was speculation that he was referring to a potential additional feature. Um, but the reason that this is um, sort of getting people's attention, Jonesy, as we kind of mentioned earlier, is that the numbers uh, at this point uh, don't sound great. Um, and while it might make some amount of sense to to remaster or re-release The Last of Us Part 2, because obviously um, The Last of Us Part 1 remake was pretty impressive, and of course HBO's Last of Us series is about to enter into the murky waters of uh, Part 2, and so maybe having a product again on store shelves to align with that makes some amount of commercial sense. It would, of course, be the fifth like outright sort of boxed premium release um, in the series, despite having only made two games after the original one was both remastered and remade, um, and now this is being remastered as well, also comes during the same week as there was speculation from some quote-unquote insiders that The Last of Us 2's multiplayer project might have been scrapped entirely at this point. I don't know if that's true, um, but it leads to situations where um, some people are kind of going, this is getting a bit ridiculous, Naughty Dog are creatively bankrupt. Where do you kind of sit on the... Um, on Naughty Dogs being bereft of creativity? I don't know. Like, I find it really tricky. So, we've joked over the years, like, games getting remastered, remade 15 million times, like Skyrim, you know, we were talking about every time they re-released Skyrim, and it was like, oh, a big joke. Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two are two of the best games ever made, in my opinion. Like, I'm massively, massive fan of the, of, um, of the series. So I'm not going to moan about the fact that they're improving them, making them more accessible at this point. It's um, It kind of makes sense to me, especially, you know, we often talk about how Nintendo do the same thing. You know, they'll release many versions of the same game because it's, oh, now it's in its best form. Now it's in its best form. It does, But then at the same time, I'm totally with people when they say, um, like, why can't you just make more good content? Stop remastering, stop remaking. Like, we would, it doesn't even have to be a sequel. Make a new IP. Like, Naughty Dog are such an exciting developer when they're in on, on form. Um, I, I'm sad to say it as well, but like, the multiplayer thing uh, by this point is almost, it is almost pointless. Like, I'm going to be excited about it. And I'm probably the only person because I liked the multiplayer of Last of Us Part One. But yeah. most people, like, no one's going to be rushing home to play the Last of Us multiplayer. Like, it's, it doesn't lend itself to that. And it, I think it also is, um, it's the the genre is different. Like no one these days is crying out for a slow, methodical sort of crawling around the environment, being stealthy multiplayer. Like this just so then well, yeah, why bother? So then cancel it. Fair enough. But then you've got even fewer things that you've released. I hear it's yes, it's sad. It's a shame. I I'd love to see a new IP from them. Stop making remasters. Stop making um uh updated versions. I mean, if you're gonna do it now. Like, sorry, if you were going to do it, I feel like the time to do it, as you mentioned, was when the PlayStation 5 uh, was coming out, is to announce it then. And then even if it takes a year, a couple of years, no one's going to complain because they're like, okay, that makes sense. But to now be talking about it now as something they haven't even announced yet, it's almost like, it's too soon or it's too late <laughs> if I'm going to be, yeah, like if I'm really going to be annoying about it. Um, no, you're right. You're right on both fronts. Like if it was, if it was closer to the launch of the PS5, it makes sense. If it was once the game had aged a little bit longer, it makes sense, but it, it, it's a weird middle ground at the moment. And now I'm almost like, well, hell, wait for the PlayStation 6, if that's what you really want to do. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, like, but bundle it up with a, a remaster of the remake of The Last of Us Part 1. Yeah. 
Or they just, <laughs> would make more sense to me is like, even if they said at this point, if they were like, they could bundle it with like a D, uh, an expansion or a DLC or something like that, that at least would would make sense. I cool. think. Um, but that game looked phenomenal. Um, and it wasn't that long ago. And I don't, I think we're getting to the weird point that you're not going to get as much of an improvement as you need for like a remaster or a remake. I don't think anyone's going to play that game and go, oh, this revolutionized the way I played this game. Like, I think you're still going to be, I think you're going to be hard pushed to make it much better than it was. Yeah. I mean, The Last of Us, the, the original Last of Us came out, um, what is it, nine years before the remake of that game? Um, Something like that. I can't remember exactly. Um, and yet people looked at that remake. I thought that remake was stunning. But I remember you and Chris, for example, seeing some of the early footage of that remake and being like, there was no point in doing this. So it, it, we're already entering the stage where it's like, how long do you have to wait before it's justified? And if there are going to be diminishing returns year on year on year, is that period of time going to get even longer the longer time goes on? Um, it's it's a, it's a really tough one. I think you nailed it when with uh, Red Dead Redemption when you said, unless you're releasing a 4K 60 FPS game, um, then why? And if they can't even really manage that day one with Red Dead Redemption, can they, like, they, they obviously can't, they're not going to be able to do that with a remastered version of Last of Us Part 2. Like, I can't see a 4K, um, like, 60 FPS remastered. Yeah. Like, it's going to it's gonna be some, fa like some factor of, oh, uh, DLSS or uh, 40 frames or it's not locked. At, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's worth it. Along with... Along with a handful of like PS5 enhancements that people, I think, are mostly kind of, without sounding too dismissive, over by now. Like, you can't tell me that The Last of Us Part Two remastered has haptic feedback or or and and make me go, oh, right. Like, I get like maybe at one point in time, but not so much anymore. Even though those are still fundamentally cool features, it's not the reason I'm going to buy a game I don't have a huge urge to play again. I should clarify, though, when I say I want a 60 FPS 4K Last of Us Part 2, I don't want to pick between the Ray Trace version and the 60 frames performance version. I want all of that packaged. I want the game to look yeah, fantastic and be 60 FPS. Otherwise, don't bother. You're not ready. Pretty much. Put it back. I think, for me, like, I get why some people are pointing the finger at Naughty Dog and saying that they are, they, you know, they've, they used to be one of the most creative studios studios they used to make all these amazing franchises that they built on in interesting ways and delivered new ips when it was time to and stuff like that i i i don't know if this is me being a little bit too generous and maybe kind of um helping them sort of like skirt around some of the blame for this um but i just think it's a more like frustration with this news assuming it proves to be true it suggests to me that there's people have more of a frustration with the nature of the games industry uh by modern standards than the with naughty dog as a studio um, you know, you go back to the PlayStation 3, for example, only two generations ago, and it seems astonishing, like head scratching to uh like I'd like wrap my head around the fact that Naughty Dog in that one console generation were able to make the original Uncharted trilogy and The Last of Us. Like they were able to make a new IP, deliver an entire trilogy within that new IP. They got hugely better year on year. Like the leap from one to two especially was ginormous and yet wrap up that generation by making a generation-defining game in The Last of Us. Um, and, like, they did okay on the PS4 with uh, Uncharted 4 and The Last of Us Part 2, but, like, that's a, already a big drop-off. And now the PS5, we're, um, you know, we're three years in, and it's just been a remake. 
Um, so like, like that's an, then like that is Naughty Dog changing, but it, you know we have this conversation about like so many studios, Rockstar are the other poster boy for it. I know, but like the games industry is changing. How long yeah. games take to make is changing. How much games cost to make is changing. How many people on average work on these games are changing. Like, and the considerations that have to be made to going into uh, launching full-scale development on a brand new AAA game, especially one that's in a new IP, and new IPs take an incredible amount of pre-production time and planning and conceptual um, time. Like, I just think that those numbers have... Uh, num n the numbers on the financial side, the time side, the, the, yeah, the, the headcount side have blown up so much even in the, just the last five to ten years that i think most people are just unaware of how difficult it is to get vehicles like that off the ground um and, and and the financial kind of repercussions of getting it wrong we were just sitting here last week talking about sega cancelling the most expensive game they've ever made like months before it was meant to come out because it like it didn't make financial sense to continue anymore like Game development, 6,000 people have lost their jobs in the games industry this year alone. It, there's never been a more precarious time to make games, and that means developers and publishers have to make uncomfortable decisions. And uncomfortable decisions means, as people observed in the movie industry decades ago, making surefire bets that they know will get bums in seats. And yeah. working with established franchises for as much as people don't think is creative enough or interesting enough is a far more far more of a safe bet and if you put two folders in front of a like a playstation executive and one of them said the last of us 2 remastered and the other one said quadruple a uh, science fiction new ip only one of those folders gets picked up um and especially your like teams are so big that Na naughty dog have hundreds of employees they will have units within that team not all, not all of them, they won't have hundreds of people all doing one thing at once. They will have people who work on this and people who work on that. They will have a team that will work on that multiplayer thing. They will have a team that helped out with the Last of Us Part 1 remake. They will have a team that had been working with Drutman on developing whatever he's doing next the whole time. Like, there's so many things going on. You need to have different projects at different stages in development. You can never afford to have people sitting on their hands. The other problem with a new IP, if you said, we got 300 employees and they all get on and off the same projects at the same time, we're one project studio. When a project's in development, it's in development. When it's done, it's done, and so on and so forth. You then sit around and say, right, Neil, um, how about you? Yeah, like, what's next? And he says, let me go away for six weeks and, um, and, and write a script and come up with some ideas and I'll work with a concept artist to get some diagrams together. And you say, you know, six weeks to get together an idea for the next $1 billion IP. That sounds pretty great. Then someone from finance knocks on your door and says, you realize you just greenlit uh, six weeks of hundreds of coders and engineers and artists mm -hmm. and so on and so sitting on their ass for it. And you go, oh, shit. What do we get them to do? And so there needs to be this cycle of stuff. And in some respects, things like The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered, much like The Last of Us Part 1, become the necessary evil for the projects that people do want and will eventually get. They're just not going to get as many of them as they did 10, 20 years ago. And I know that sucks, but that's the nature of the beast at the moment. I completely agree. And and maybe that's part of the consideration when they actually greenlight these projects these days is to say, the only reason we're going to say yes to this game is because we know that we'll be able to make the initial game, then we'll be able to make the um, the remaster, and then we'll be able to make the remake. So actually every game needs to be three games, and that's the way that the finances work. And so I suppose they say to me, is Naughty Dog um you know are they are they being complacent 
um, are they not doing enough new stuff? But actually, it might just be that this is the the nature of the beast, and this is how it's going to be from now on with games that take ten years to make. And as long as as gamers, as long as we say yes to it, every ten years, don't worry, you'll get a uh, you'll get a new IP. But in the meantime, in the interim decade, you're going to have to part with a remake and a remaster, and you're going to have to spend your money, and you're going to have to buy it. I yeah I think I think that's I don't think that's that bad. Like like I said, I I it does frustrate me to some degree because you end up spending a lot of money for a little return in some respects. Um, but it's but, it, but, it, but it, it's still again like you, again you go back to the finance department at Imaginary Studio Number One, <laughs> and someone comes in and tells you that big new thing you're making that's going to come out in seven years. Uh, that budget is just inflated a little bit more. It's looking at around three hundred to three hundred fifty million dollars. Um, uh, at the moment, and you go okay. Then another person walks in the door after them and says, "If you give me and my team of twenty-five people twenty million dollars, we'll remaster this game and make you a hundred And you say, "Do you know yeah. what? That actually makes kind of sense right now because that other team just asked me for four hundred million dollars and the next eight years. And I'm sitting here hoping that in eight years' time, the fucking world even still cares about these characters, let alone that this game's going to fucking come out. That's like that's it, the it, weird. It's fair, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, it's I, it's fascinating sitting talking to developers or create, especially like t producers, creative directors, leads, um, franchise directors, whatever it is, sitting there looking at powerpoints and saying, then they sit there and say to you, "This is the game that we're about to go into development with," and you go, "When do you hope it comes out?" And they're like, six years," and you go, "Like I can't imagine what that feels like." You're looking, yeah. you've just showed me a powerpoint, and you're like, "You're," and like. How, how do you get the money for that? Who like who's gonna who's gonna say oh, yes? Here's six years. Here's six years of wages for the hundreds of people who are gonna make this game. Um, by the way, we want to see your progress every single month for the next six years. And if at any point we don't feel like it's trending towards the game that you promised, or if the industry trends away from the game that you're trying to making, we're gonna pull the rug. And then you have hundreds of people um, that you're paying the salaries for who need something else to work on. It is brutal out there. Um, and yeah so beyond good and evil 2 um uh, and i just feel sorry when you i hear titles like beyond good and evil 2 because for every beyond good and evil 2 for every time patrice desolet or whatever the fuck his name was um gets to go on stage and cry um at e3 because beyond good and evil 2 is released there's hundreds of people out there right now who are either crunching on it worrying that it's going to be uh, scrapped and that, that all the work they've done will be lost for t time and they're going to spend the rest of their years with, you know, redacted video game one on their CV. Maybe not in the case of Beyond Good and Evil 2 because it is extremely public by this stage. Um, and and worry about whether, the, yeah, like whether, whether they're going to lose their jobs, what job they have once Ubisoft have decided what they're going to do with Beyond Good and Evil 2 if they haven't already, you know? I think yeah. I'm... I'm I I'm convinced that, like we were just talking about AI and how it was utilized to write an apology, I think AI is going to be one of the best things that ever happened to the gaming industry from a, pr a rate of production perspective. I, I know there'll be a lot of people that are really terrified of it and that it will take their jobs and things like level designers and uh, coders, but I think if we manage to get through the early painful days, I think those people will find, hopefully, more fulfilling jobs working alongside AIs to build games that look the best play the best and are made in a more timely fashion than like we could possibly imagine and they're going to look incredible 
I'm gonna can I no comment that one. I don't Absolutely. know what I think. I don't know what I think yet. I don't know what I think yet. Um it's too hot topic. Um uh, speaking of hot topics, Jonesy, we rattled through three of them in the past hour and I don't even know how long. Um probably close you're at this point probably close to two. Um because We're getting close to two. I rambled a bit at the end there. Um and I think considering we are getting close to two and we've uh, crossed everything off the list um we can put a bow on this bad boy and 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 bid adieu to the fine folk that have joined us on this adventure how does that sound sounds good awesome well thank you jonesy for uh for joining me uh for the past couple of hours to chat video games and for offering all your wondrous insights uh excellent excellent to hear from you as always um and Sorry, I looked like you were going to say something. <laughs> I thought you were trailing off. No, thank you for having me, mate. It's always a pleasure, and it was uh, always good to have all the people uh, along for the ride in the chat, um, watching with us or listening, indeed, later on any of the platforms that we're on. Yeah, indeed, whether you uh, watch this on YouTube live or after the fact, whether you're listening on podcasting platforms, whether you know, you're watching this in years' time when we and the games that we're talking about are relics of the past, we <laughs> thank you uh, for tuning in. And I'll remind you that we do, of course, uh, hope to go live every Monday on YouTube at the Super Show channel. Uh, so hopefully we'll see you there, same time, same place. But if not, we'll catch you somewhere on the internet because that's the way that digital media works in 2023. And with that, I say thank you once again. Um, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, Bye. everyone. See ya. Bye. Oh, and uh, don't forget,